Today's episode of the Nick Pop Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. When it's time to get a new set of windows or a new door, you got to go with Pella. Why? Because they can provide window and door solutions to any home. And the people are great. Steve, Vince, Clint, Brian, the whole gang, everybody there is a stud. And you know what? You're going to be working with Pella and only Pella the entire time. Do you realize that when you work with some other window and companies, all of a sudden, questions pop up like, who's going to install it? Who's going to pre-finish it? And before you know it, you're working with like four or five different people. Ugh, sounds like a giant headache right there. You want the convenience and simplicity of working with one company, not three or four. That's Pella. Check them out on the web, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. All right, on tap today, it is Creighton Season Recap. And it is just me and you. I sat down and hammered out an in-depth recap. This isn't like a surface level, like, yeah, you know, Creighton, they had a, had a decent year. That's about all I got to say. No, this is, this is a deep dive. I ended up writing 22 pages of notes for this pod. So we don't got a lot of uh, time to waste. I uh, only have so much left in my voice here. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to lose it. So let's get into it, man. Because uh, it, it was an incredible season for Creighton. It was hard to not fall in love with watching this team play and compete. I never thought I'd enjoy watching a Creighton team more than Doug McDermott's senior year squad when they were hot and rolling. But man, when this. Creighton Blue Jay squad was hot and clicking. This was the most fun Creighton team I've ever watched. Those three guards, Alexander Balak and Marcus Zagorowski, elite. And it begins and ends with those three guys. They proved to be one of the best backcourts in the country. Creighton finished 24-7. and They went 13-5 and in Big East Conference play. They want to share the Big East regular season title which is absolutely the greatest accomplishment in program history. So there is a lot to break down with this season. Let's get into it. So I I think it's important to take a step back and think back to what the thoughts and narratives were with this team in the preseason. Remember, Creighton heading into this year, you know, I was higher on this team than – a lot of other people were. Creighton was picked to finish seventh in the Big East. I had them pegged uh, third or maybe fourth. I thought they were kind of right there behind Seton Hall heading into the season. I mean, hell, Creighton finished tied for third last year. And I thought Creighton had the best backcourt in the conference. And oftentimes, if you have the best backcourt, you ain't finishing seventh. Like, Show me, show me a team in all of college basketball that has the best backcourt in the conference and they finish towards the bottom of the conference. It usually, just usually doesn't happen. It just usually doesn't happen. But with all that said, I kind of could get where some of the skepticism came from with Creighton. I mean, Creighton lost Martin Crompel. He, he left early to go pro, who on, on paper was probably Creighton's best player. Creighton had a bunch of good players, but I don't know if anyone had definitively proven they were great yet. So I can kind of get it. I I can. But I just think if you took a deeper look at Creighton last year, they lost a million close games. 
I mean, really, that was the tale of their season. They were awful in the final two, three minutes of games. There were numerous games two seasons ago, you know, Ohio State at home, Marquette at home, at Villanova, Xavier twice, Seton Hall twice, that Creighton was in the driver's seat, had leads with a minute, two minutes left, and lost all those games. So, you know, I just, I thought Creighton was a little closer than people maybe thought or realized. But the reality is, I really think a lot of the seeds for this great Creighton season that we're about to talk about were planted last season in those close losses. Creighton learned from those games. They grew tighter as a unit. And they found some much-needed toughness that really served them well this year. You know, the big knock on Creighton was they're kind of soft. You know, they, they're a little soft. They, they had a hard time finding a way to win those gritty, tough grinder games. And listen, I, I agreed with that assessment. I do think there was a little soft with the team over the years. And I do think there was, there was a little... Uh, they're going to have a hard time winning grinders, and if they if they didn't outscore you, they weren't going to win. But this group, this Blue Jay team was different. Now, they weren't the 80s Detroit Pistons bad boys or anything like that, but this team had toughness. You don't win a share of the Big East regular season title if you aren't tough. I mean, we all knew heading into the year, we all knew Creighton had the three-point shooting, they had the scoring, they had the skill to win. But were they tough enough? And could they find enough grit on defense in big spots? Creighton this season took huge strides in those two areas. Huge. Huge strides. I think this was one of the toughest Creighton teams in a long, long time. And even though they didn't have a rim protector and lack size, they actually did a good job finding a way to make teams uncomfortable with their defense. But that's kind of how things were big picture-wise heading into the season. The other thing that's important to, to, to lay out was right before the season, in October, Two big injuries hit the team. Seven-footer Jacob Epperson broke his leg, which was a huge blow. Creighton lacked size, and Jacob Epperson provided it. And Epperson is super talented. He can run. He's long. He's bouncy. He can play above the rim. He can protect the rim. He can shoot. I mean, this is a big blow to lose him for the year. And then on top of that, Davion Mintz, senior point guard, a guy who had started 59 consecutive games heading into this year, has a bad high ankle sprain in October, which sidelined him and eventually caused him to take a red shirt this year. So all of a sudden, before a single game has even been played, Creighton's depth and size took a huge hit. I mean, on paper, Davion Mintz and Jacob Epperson were starters. I know for a fact both guys, Mintz and Epperson, were going to start in the closed scrimmage against Missouri that Creighton had in mid to late October. So this was this was significant. 
But here's the thing. Even though it's it's hard to turn this microphone on and 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 say and and it's probably wrong to think that those injuries were were a blessing in disguise. Uh, I, I do think there was some good that came out of it for this team and this situation in particular for a couple of reasons. Number one, it forced Greg McDermott totally to commit to Marcus Zagorowski at the point guard spot. And that's how it needed to be. He's Creighton's best player, and he's Creighton's most important player. He needed to be 100% the guy. Now with Mintz on the shelf, he's the guy. Number two, it allowed for Mitch Ballock to play the three instead of the four. Because think about it. With Davion Mintz, they were going to have a lineup of four guards, pretty much. Mintz, Tysha Alexander, Marcus Zagorowski, and Mitch Ballock. And with those guys on the floor, Mitch was going to have to slide and play the four, which is hard for him. Number three. The two injuries forced Greg McDermott to commit to small ball, which was huge for this team. And it became the identity of the group. And lastly, you know, my my line in sports that I use at times is, greatness is sometimes just an opportunity away. And those injuries provided opportunities to Christian Bishop to grow and expand, he did. Damian Jefferson, the opportunity to grow and expand, he did. And then it allowed for Denzel Mahoney to really get a lot of minutes and a lot of shots, which was huge because he was a big difference maker. He ended up being the sixth man of the year in the Big East and averaged 12 points per game. And most importantly, it forced Tyshawn Alexander to embrace being the defensive stopper because that was Davion Mintz's role a year ago. But without Davion Mintz in the equation, there's a void there. There's no defensive stopper. So Tyshawn Alexander stepped up, embraced that, and he was an elite defensive player this year, probably should have been the Big East defensive player of the year. So while the injuries felt big at the time, and they were, they also paved the way for some huge components to this season. And all those isolated things that I just laid out, they don't happen without those injuries. And the reality is, with all the stuff I just laid out, is we also got to tip our cap to Greg McDermott, who navigated all those things. A lot of those things don't just happen. They got to get coached up and 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 you got to put guys in the right spots and talk to them about the right things and press the right buttons. I mean, it's pretty amazing to lose two starters on paper before the season, be picked to finish seventh, and then win the Big East. That's why Greg McDermott was the Big East Coach of the Year and to me was in the conversation for National Coach of the Year. Okay, so I want to break down this pod into sections. I wanted to start kind of framing the narratives and thoughts heading into the season, then hit on the injuries to Minson Epperson and the domino effect of that. 
I'm going to get into some thoughts I have on the coaching staff, what I saw from them. I want to go through the roster and talk about each guy and how I thought they performed this season. And then we're going to kind of just go through the the, the season, starting with the non-con and then getting into conference play, which some thoughts that I have on some individual games because I felt like there were a couple of really interesting things. So here we go, starting with the non-conference. You know, even though Creighton maybe from the outside looking in was cruising right along, like if you were just, you know, you were a, a Providence fan or you're a Marquette fan and you're casually just checking scores, like, hey, how did Creighton play last night? Okay, they won. Oh, hey, what did Creighton, what are they doing right now? Okay, they won a couple in a row. They're Even though from the outside looking in, it kind of felt like Creighton's cruising along. It kind of felt like each game was a pseudo grind for this group. Because think about it, there was a lot working against this this team in November and December. First of all, they had the injuries that I just laid out. But again, it's not easy right before the season starts. Davion Mintz, gone. Jacob Epperson, gone. Then, got to remember, there was the distractions with Preston Murphy officially resigning there was a big announcement. It was, it was, I think it was the day of a game, causing Greg McDermott to then go hire a new coach in the middle of the season, Terrence Rencher, which is almost unheard of. In the middle of the year, all of a sudden, you got a new assistant coach. Then keep in mind, Kelvin Jones was banged up. Damian Jefferson was still you know, working his way back from his ankle. And then also keep in mind, Denzel Mahoney didn't become eligible till right before Christmas. There was a lot working against this team in November and a good chunk of December. And each game, even though some were ended up blowouts, it felt like Creighton really had to work and grind for those wins. I know, because I talked to him a lot. I know Greg McDermott was was worried about fatigue and managing legs and managing guys mentally during that time. It was it just the whole non-con was a was a, a little more challenging than I think from the than you would have appeared from the outside. But Creighton started the season they beat Kennesaw State and then Creighton lost at Michigan in the second game of the year, the Gavit games on the road, a game that you know sometimes you just. You play pretty good, but the other team plays better. And you shake their hand and you move on to the next game. That's kind of what I thought of that game. Now, there were elements of how Michigan was built that bothered Creighton. Teske was was a load inside and all that. But I thought it was a game where Creighton played pretty good. Michigan played better. On to the next one. And the very next game was the first time I saw something in this team. Now, I wasn't totally ready to chug the Kool-Aid and declare this Creighton team future Big East champs. But I vividly remember getting in my car, leaving the CHI Health Center. I did the game on TV. And I remember just going, there. I saw a little something today. First of all, Creighton beat a really good Louisiana Tech team that day. You can laugh and giggle all you want. Louisiana Tech's a good team. They finished second in Conference USA, just one game out of first. That team was senior-laden and talented. And Creighton was in a dogfight for 40 minutes. And what I saw, what, what I was thinking about as I left the game and drove home, 
There were two hustle plays in that game that I thought set the tone for the season. Marcus Zagorowski had a dive to get a loose ball that was a big-time toughness play. He was able to corral a loose ball that and, and flip it forward that led to a lob dunk that turned the momentum of the game. Like the, the Creighton was on its on their heels, that flipped the game. And then Kelvin Jones had a loose ball rebound that he superman dove for and got that sealed the game right in front of the Blue Jay bench, causing Greg McDermott after a timeout to run out and shove Kelvin Jones because he was loving it so much. Two toughness plays won the game. How many times over the last handful of years could you say that? Big moments that I actually thought set the tone for the year. Because if you allow your mind to now flash forward to the Seton Hall game, both Seton Hall games, like there were a lot of big moments where Creighton showed some toughness diving on the floor, making those kinds of plays. That was the first time I was like, I'm something with this team, man. Like I just, I just, again, I wasn't ready to chug the Kool-Aid and call Las Vegas and say, Hey, put everything I own on Creighton. No, I, it's the first time I saw a little something. But you know, speaking of the grind of the non-con Creighton was actually down at halftime in Omaha to North Florida. They were down 36, 31. They're down, down at half and dug in and found a way to win. So again, on paper, a pretty whatever win. Even for a lot of people, you look at both those wins. People that know college basketball this year knew Louisiana Tech wasn't a whatever win. But I, you look at those two and you're like, all right, Creighton beat Louisiana Tech. They beat North Florida, whatever. But I thought those those were some some gut check wins. But ultimately, when you talk about the non-conference slate, it was about five games. You had the two games in Las Vegas. You had the Nebraska game in Omaha, the Oklahoma game in Omaha, and then the road game at Arizona State. Those were the big, the big five. And then the Michigan game, but we're already past that. But those, those were the big ones. Creighton went four and one in those five games. And one of those wins was one of the two turning points in the season, in my opinion. What happened in Las Vegas was huge. Remember. Think all the way back. Creighton got absolutely obliterated on Thanksgiving night by San Diego State. Obliterated. Got beat 83-52, 31-point loss. One of the most lopsided losses in school history. I mean, they got crushed. So as everybody had that belly full of turkey and settled in to watch that, they thought, ugh. Now, remember, at the time, nobody knew that San Diego State was going to start the season 26-1 and and be one of the best teams in the country. All they knew was San Diego State just beat Creighton by 30. Ugh. So after that game, there was a little like, man, does this group have it? Can they get it done? Like some people were wondering, like Twitter was ridiculous that night. Like, how good is this team? Well, the very next night, Creighton had to play a team that went to the Final Four a year ago in Texas Tech. And Marcus Zagorowski put on a show and torched Texas Tech for 32 points. 
he was, he looked like Kyrie Irving out there. He was dropping mother, I mean, he was dropping fools out there. It was incredible. But Creighton squandered a late lead, eventually had to go to overtime, and they found a way to dig in and win it in overtime. And in my opinion, that was the first turning point in this season. That game was a huge confidence booster to the team and to Marcus Zagorowski. Marcus Zagorowski was a different player after that night. He's he's always was a good player. I mean, again, you listen to it. Like I, I believe in that cat from the moment I watched him play. He was a different player after that night. But I'm just saying, man, if Creighton comes home 0-2 from Vegas and one of the losses was an ass-kicking to San Diego State, I mean, now all of a sudden you got to worry about confidence and keeping the guys, you know, feeling good about themselves. I thought that win was huge. It was, in my opinion, turning point number one in the season. The other big non-conference games, Creighton absolutely blew the doors off on Nebraska. This was the worst Nebraska team in my lifetime, and Creighton ran them off the floor. Got up 40-9 to to start the game, cruised to an easy win. And listen, anytime you can beat your in-state rival, that's a morale and confidence booster. Creighton beat Oklahoma at home in Omaha and beat Arizona State on the road right before Christmas. Two huge non-con wins. And to be honest with you, they were both wins in which I didn't I didn't even think Creighton played all that well, especially at Arizona State. And as weird as this is going to sound, <coughs> I actually thought that was a good sign for things moving forward. I actually did. I know that's not, like whenever you can beat good teams when you don't play all that well, to me, it's a good sign. And, you know, that Arizona State win showed some grit, too. You know, Mitch Ballock was clutch, made big shot late. Christian Bishop and Damian Jefferson were lights out in the second half of that game. Kelvin Jones had a good spurt. It was a good win right before Christmas. But the big thing with those two games were Denzel, they were Denzel Mahoney's debuts. I mean, Denzel Mahoney's first game was Oklahoma. And even though he's he scored in double figures in both games, you could tell he really disrupted the flow and rhythm of the whole team. You could tell he was a little out of rhythm. You could tell when he was on the floor, the team didn't move the same. They didn't operate with the same kind of, you know, just clicking on all cylinders. And now I thought some of the panic button hitting after two games on Mahoney was laughable from people. But you, but nevertheless, you could. There was like, you know, there's something you got to figure out there. And you know, think about it. Denzel Mahoney went from scoring 19 points per game at Southeast Missouri State, where he was the man. He shot about 13 times a game. He took all the shots, and he was on the scout team for a year and a half, where shot selection doesn't really matter. And and the other thing is, in all reality, he hadn't really played a ton with the top group, so it took some time. And eventually, through film and reps and practice and conversations and meetings with coaches and other players, Denzel Mahoney fit in great. But you found out 
that fitting a guy in mid-year isn't always easy, even when it's a talented dude like Mahoney. So Creighton finished the non-con 11-2, and and there was, you know, a lot I had seen in that Louisiana Tech win and, you know, to bounce back uh, and, and beat Texas Tech in Vegas, to hammer Nebraska, to beat Oklahoma and Arizona State on and, and beat Arizona State on the road, that, that kind of made you wonder, I wonder how high the ceiling is for this team. And I'm not going to lie, heading into conference play, you felt like it was pretty high. So here comes conference play. So Creighton had a really tough schedule to start Biggie's play. Three of the first five on the road. The road games were at Butler, at Xavier, and at Georgetown. And two, the two home games were Marquette and Villanova. That's tough. Remember, Creighton hammered Marquette to start the conference season. Then lost back-to-back games at Butler and then at home against Villanova. Creighton didn't play well at all at Butler. Now, Butler has a way of doing that to you. But Creighton didn't play well at, in Hinkle Fieldhouse. And then Creighton followed that game up with a tough loss at home to Villanova. That Villanova game, Creighton led. I did that game on TV. Creighton led that game for 34 minutes and 30 seconds and then fell apart for about three minutes and lost. And in some ways, it was a game that felt exactly like last year felt like deja vu from all the uh, control a game from almost start to finish fall apart in the final three minutes and lose kind of felt like deja vu but listen man Nova is Nova they did what they do that night they found they, they found a way to hang in there and win Creighton then went and got a big road win at Xavier played really well in particular in the second half but then followed it up with a loss at Georgetown where Yurt 7 gave them big issues in the post. They had to double. That created problems. And Creighton lost on the road at Georgetown. Which set up what I believe was turning point number two on the season. The Providence win at home. In particular, the final 90 seconds of the game. Let me set the stage for you a little bit. Creighton came into that game two and three in league play. Not great. And Providence, who had an atrocious non-con, had rebounded and started four and two in conference play. So they were a good team who was finding confidence. And this was the game that all of a sudden, Right before tip-off, Marcus Zegarowski got sick. And he got, he got dizzy after warm-ups or during warm-ups. He, he could apparently could barely stand in the locker room before the game to the point where he, he didn't start the game. Now, he was made his way onto the bench, but he didn't start the game. So now, Creighton is playing Providence with a dizzy, sick, struggling Zegarowski. Uh-oh. So the game gets rolling. Zegarowski ultimately gets put into the game. You can tell he's not totally himself. And 
David Duke for Providence had the best game of his career. Dude was on fire. He went for 36 points and was torching Creighton. And with 90 seconds left, it looked like Creighton was dead in the water. Providence was up 74-69 with a minute 26 left. Turning point time. Here are the next possessions. Tyshawn Alexander made a three. Creighton gets a defensive stop. Tyshawn Alexander gets a little jump stop, runner off the glass, tie game. Greg McDermott then makes a great move to put Denzel Mahoney on David Duke instead of Tyshawn Alexander. David Duke gets isolated onto Mahoney. Mahoney ties, gets the ball loose, ties him up, forces a jump ball, forces a turnover, Creighton ball. Zegarowski then hits a pull-up three with three seconds left, ball game, Creighton wins. Turning point. Think about it. You avoid dropping to two and four in conference play. You get a huge confidence-boosting win with some late heroics. Massive. And think about it. So that's the second turning point of the season. Creighton, including that win, goes on to win 11 of their next 13 games. And I think that 90-second flurry to end the game, Tyshawn three, Tyshawn runner, Zegarowski three. I think the 90-second flurry to end the game on a 9-0 run and beat Providence was huge. Turning point number two. So Creighton goes on. They, they beat DePaul on the road easy. They beat Xavier at home, which was on the day of Kobe Bryant's tragic death. Creighton played really well that day. Then Creighton had in what Greg McDermott considers to be the turning point of the season, Creighton's win at Villanova. They really controlled the game, and it was kind of a carbon copy of the first game in Omaha. Creighton controlled the game. They let a lead slip. But instead of allowing Nova to just go on a cruise to win, Creighton buckled down and was lights out in the final five, six minutes of that game and won on the road at Villanova 76-61. It's a big moment. But Creighton followed that up with an awful shooting night and Providence shot it great and and Creighton lost on the road at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Creighton beat St. John's easy at home, scored 90-plus points. And then came what was a huge night for the reality of winning the league becoming possible. Creighton went on the road to Jersey and beat Seton Hall 87-82. Tyshawn Alexander shut down Miles Powell. Damian Jefferson had the dive of the season, diving about 15 feet to get a loose ball into the backcourt, which led to a layup late. And Denzel Mahoney hit the biggest shot of the game. Creighton's up one, 75-74 with about a minute left. Seton Hall, out of a timeout, decides to go match up zone. 
and they get so concerned about finding you know, Tysha Alexander and Zagorowski and Balak, they leave Denzel Mahoney, swish, Creighton cruises to win. Creighton scored 87 points at Seton Hall, and Mitch Balak had zero points. Scary, right? But this was the night that all of a sudden, Creighton winning the regular season Big East crown seemed real. I mean, you'd, it seemed real. With the way the schedules were shaken out with who Seton Hall had to play, who Creighton had to play, all of a sudden, Creighton could look down the road and see a potential banner. Quick break to talk to you guys about Pella windows and doors. You know, putting in some new windows or a new door can be super exciting, but it can be a little intimidating, and sometimes you don't even know where to begin. Well, let me help you out. First of all, got to go with Pella. And with Pella, there are a couple of directions you can go to start. Number one, you can schedule a free in-home consultation. That's right, free. You'll get a Pella expert out to your home. They'll sit down, they'll take a look around your house, and they can get a Greg McDermott-esque game plan for you that fits your budget, your home, your wants, and your needs. Or number two, you can head out to the showroom. Showroom's really cool. Sometimes it helps to actually see the window and see the door and open it and close it to get a better feel of what exactly you're going to be putting into your home. The showroom is also a great place to start. Any direction you start. Just know that Pella has a variety of products and can 100% provide window and door solutions to any home. And you're going to be working with some, with some great people the entire time. Give Pella a call, 402-493-1350, or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. Back to the Creighton basketball season recap. Huge night for Creighton. And this is when Creighton was just humming, because the next three games were amazing. Creighton absolutely crushed DePaul at home and crushed Butler at home. Creighton had stretches in those games where they looked like the Showtime Lakers. Like the five minutes to start the second half against DePaul with multiple transition lobs, incredible. I was doing studio that night in L.A., and I was up in our smaller studio in the the Fox Los Angeles studios with Mike Hill, and Mike what Mike was like screaming watching the game live because it was it was incredible. So Creighton drubbed DePaul ninety three sixty four, and then there was a ten minute stretch in the Butler win at home that was just jaw dropping, threes, extra passes, blocks, transition dunks. It was wild. I mean, it's one thing to, to run DePaul off the floor. It's another thing to run Butler off the floor. But, Butler's, teams, you don't do that to Butler. Zagorowski had 25 points and was 7 for 7 from 3 against a guy that I have a ton of respect for in Aaron Thompson, uh, Butler, one of the best defenders in the country. And Creighton beat Butler 81-59. Now, Creighton, in between those two games, had our big-time road win at Marquette, where Tyshawn Alexander shut down Marcus Howard again. And then in the second half, it was really good coaching. Greg McDermott found a play that he liked. It was a little, like, dribble, down-screen handoff that Marquette couldn't stop. 
They couldn't stop it in the second half. And so Coach McDermott ran that thing over and over and over and over and picked apart the Golden Eagles. Tyshawn Alexander was lights out offensively. And Creighton won a tough physical game on the road. Now, what was frustrating was Creighton had a week off before they went to St. John's. I do think the week off, was it threw their rhythm and flow off. I mean, they were humming. They took a week off. I think they lost a little bit of their juice. And they went to St. John's and played awful. It was probably Zagorowski's worst game of the season. And... St. John's also had their best three-point shooting performance of the season. So they lost on the road to St. John's, but rebounded to hammer Georgetown at home, setting up what was the biggest game in school history. Creighton, Seton Hall, in Omaha for a Big East regular season crown. This is a Seton Hall team that has an All-American guard in Miles Powell. It is a Final Four caliber team. I was not in the building. I was in Cincinnati calling Butler Xavier, but I watched it on TV. And the people that were at that game said that atmosphere was the probably the best they've ever seen. And the amazing thing about that game was two things. Number one, Kevin Willard was had so much respect for Creighton's offense and had so much respect for the crowd that he basically stalled. He had his team walk the ball up the floor. He didn't want this game getting fast-paced at all. And listen, it kind of worked. It kept Creighton in check for most of the game. But then the second amazing thing was the final nine minutes of that basketball game. That was basketball perfection. Game was tied at 50 with nine minutes and four seconds left. Greg McDermott decides to go small ball for the rest of the game. Denzel Mahoney, Damian Jefferson at the four and the five. And Creighton proceeds to make 12 of their final 13 shots and finish the game on a 30 to 10 run. And when the buzzer sounded, the court was stormed, Nets were cut down, and a banner saying Big East Champs was hung. I said it at the time, and I'll say it again. Creighton basketball has never been better than what it was that day. Beating Seton Hall, a Final Four caliber team at home to win the Big East regular season crown. Incredible. Unfortunately, we all know what unfolded the following week. You know, Zegarowski on the final play of that game pretty much tore his meniscus. Uh, and then the coronavirus pandemic hit our country. And just like that, the season was over. And I really thought this team, man, with a healthy Marcus Zegarowski, had a chance. Had a chance to without a doubt, go to the Sweet 16, beat that door down, and maybe even mess around and knock on the door of the Final Four. I mean, the, the this team finished the season ranked seventh in the country. They were a two or a three seed in most brackets. So a deep run was potentially on tap. But 
if Marcus Zegarowski was out, which he was going to be, I don't think they could have made a deep run without Zegarowski. I have a hard time seeing them make a deep run without him. But like I, I just laid out, at full strength, let's say Zegarowski's knee's fine, this team was as good as anyone in the country this year. They were as good as anybody in the country this year. And what makes the whole season getting cut short kind of easier to deal with and swallow if you're a Creighton fan is two things. Number one, the Zegarowski injury. And then number two, the entire team comes back next year except for Kelvin Jones. So this group should get a chance at making their run in the big dance. And man, next year has a chance to be beyond special. Creighton, you would assume, is going to be a preseason top five team. And as long as the core group stays together, which I think they will, you better get your popcorn ready, Jays fans, because it could be special. So I want to get to the, that's kind of the season. A couple of more things. I want to talk about the, the, the players in a second, but I want to talk about the coaching staff quick. I thought Greg McDermott did just an incredible job with this team. You know, he was the Big East Coach of the Year. He was in the conversation for National Coach of the Year. I mean, to you lose Martin Crumple early, to, who leaves early, to deal with all the injuries, you know, with Mintz and, and, and Jacob Epperson, to, you know, to work Denzel Mahoney into the fold mid-year, to find ways to navigate being undersized, to get every single player on the team to improve a ton, to get every single guy on the team to buy into the team and sacrifice for the collective group and win a share of the Big East, which was arguably the best conference in the country this year, what a job by Greg McDermott. He, that guy, that guy's offensive reputation is legit. I mean, he's basically an offensive genius. The sets he devises, the way he gets his teams to play fast and transition, the way he the, the way he gets his teams to share the ball and space the floor and move with intelligence in the half court, it's just incredible. But I'm not so sure the thing that, that he does best isn't this. He does such a good job of cultivating an environment of confidence. And basketball, if nothing else, is a confidence sport. It's hard. It's a hard game to play if you're not confident. He cultivates confidence. He gets everyone to play so free and loose and confident, and it's just fun to watch. So I thought he was awesome this year. I do want to mention Paul Lusk. Paul Lusk, I think, has made a a big impact on this program in his two years being here. He's the de facto defensive coordinator and he did a good job, along with Greg McDermott and the staff, devising defensive game plans to make the other team uncomfortable, all while trying to cover up for the fact that Creighton's got no size or rim protection. I mean, think about it. Creighton started Christian Bishop at the five at six foot seven, and then would play long stretches of super small ball 
with Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney at the four and the five at six foot five, six foot five. That's small. And what the staff did was they would pick one or two guys on the other team who shot a poor three-point percentage, and they would play way off those guys and dare them to shoot. And they'd plug up the lane with whoever was guarding those bad shooters. And that helped defender could, you know, defend the paint, defend, help defend the post, and then be in good rebounding position on the shot because it had to be an all-hands-on-deck kind of approach with that. It was smart, and it worked. Again, Creighton wasn't Virginia defensively, but considering the hand what was that was dealt with the personnel, they did a good job getting stops. And whatever buttons they push to increase the toughness with this team, it happened. It happened. All right, so personnel. I want to go through the core group of guys and give my kind of thoughts on their season. And then we'll kind of wrap this bad boy up. Marcus Zagorowski. I told you guys before the season, I believe in him. From the moment I watched that guy play, it was, you know, love at first mid-range jumper. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I thought he was Creighton's best player and their most important player. And boy, did he have a great season. Finished second team all Big East. I think he should have been first team. He ended up being a much better scorer than I thought he was. Heading into the year. He was a good, I mean, he led the Big East in three-point percentage. Like, he was a good shooter. But I didn't know he had the the type of diversity in his offensive game to score at the level he did this year. I mean, he had 32 on Texas Tech, 30 on Nebraska. He was a big-time scorer when needed. He averaged 16 points a game, shot 48% from the floor, 42% from three, five assists per game. He was the competitive leader of this team. May not the, I mean, he talked, but he, he may not be the, the vocal leader. I think that was more Mitch Ballock. But he was the competitive fighter leader in this team. He set the tone in that regard. He's just a great, great, great basketball player. He's tough. He's a winner. He can pass. He can shoot. He can score at all three levels. He can get to the rim. He can make mid-range jumpers. He can shoot threes off the dribble, off the catch. He had a great season. I think the world of Zagorowski as a player, and I really hope his knee heals up because that is a special basketball player. Tyshawn Alexander. I don't think I've ever seen a player make a bigger jump as a defender in one year than I did with Tyson Alexander this season. Incredible. I thought he was a good defender, but not elite. A year ago, if you'd have told me Tyson Alexander, Big East Defensive Player of the Year conversation, I'd have been like, what? No. Not that he was a bad defender. But man, that guy became an elite defender. He ended up leading the country in points per possession as a primary defender. He shut down Marcus Howard twice. He shut down Miles Powell twice. He's a two-way player, man. He could defend, and he scored at a high clip. Basically, 17 points per game, five rebounds per game, which was an area he really improved on, rebounding the ball. 
Shot 39% from three, 86% from the line. He is really good in big spots this year. Providence game at home, Seton Hall game, late. He is he, he, he is really good in big spots. Finished, finished first team all Big East. Honestly, should have been in the running for Big East player of the year. But, man, he had a great season. I'd imagine he'll flirt with the NBA, but I think he should come back. He's not going to be a first-round pick. And I think he could play his way into being a first-round pick next year if he has another big season and Creighton wins. What a season for Tyson Alexander. Mitch Ballock. So for those that haven't listened yet, I did a podcast with, with Mitch Ballock after the season a couple weeks ago. We sat down and went through the year, and, and I also kind of picked his brain on what makes him tick. And after listening to it, you see that he's a special guy, and his personality and unselfish attitude is kind of the spirit of the, of the team. He works his ass off. He's one of the best shooters in the country, and yet he's also the most unselfish guy on the team. That's a, that's a great combination of things there. Hard worker, great shooter, unselfish. Mitch Ballock led the team in three-point shooting. He made 93 threes. 93. <laughs> he shot 43% from three. And this dude's a, you know, he's a Kyle Korver, Ethan Ruggie, Doug McDermott type of shooter. He worked hard in the offseason on driving and finishing at the rim, and it paid off. Teams are always trying to run him off the three-point line because he's such a good shooter. So he knew he's got to be able to drive and finish in those spots, and he did this year. And you could make a case that Mitch Ballock's arguably the best passer on the team too. He's got good vision. He's got good instincts. He makes good decisions. And think about this. Mitch Ballock played 1,115 minutes this season and only turned the ball over 28 times. That's big time. He led the Big East in minutes played this year. So he's durable. He's dependable. You look at Mitch Ballock is an elite shooter, and he's an elite teammate. Hell of a season for Mitch Ballock. Damian Jefferson. I'll be honest. I was kind of lukewarm on Damian Jefferson heading into the year. I'll be real with you. I thought he was just okay. Not a bad player at all. I, I, I just thought he was okay. But in, in his defense, he had ankle surgery in the middle of last year, the same surgery that Tua Tungavaiola had. And he was never the same last year. So it's maybe a little unfair on my part of judging him on that. But I just, I didn't, I didn't know what to totally expect from him. And, I, and to be honest with you, I was really worried about his game and him once Denzel Mahoney became eligible. Was he going to get selfish? Was he going to try to do too much? Well, what Damian Jefferson did was elevate his game upon Denzel Mahoney becoming eligible to a whole nother level and was a great teammate while doing it. From Christmas on, from that Arizona State game on, 
which is, I think, December 21st, he was one of the most consistent players on the team. He he was one of the more consistent dudes. Now, he still didn't shoot the ball great, just 21% from three. But what what he gives Creighton is a guy that can play above the rim. Creighton doesn't have, they only have two guys that can play above the rim, and he's one of them. And a guy that's athletic and versatile. He can guard in multiple positions, and he can play inside and out on offense. And in order to play small, you need guys like Damian Jefferson. I'm not sure there's a guy that exceeded my expectations for them more than Damian Jefferson did this year. He starred in his role. Christian Bishop. Christian Bishop had a great NIT run to end his freshman year, and he's just kind of taken off as a player ever since then. He worked hard in the offseason to put on weight, and he got stronger, which allowed him to survive at the five all year. Christian Bishop gives Creighton their pick-roll lob-to-the-rim element that they really thrive on. He plays above the rim. And like I said with Damian Jefferson, they need that. And he really blossomed as a decision-maker in dribble handoffs on the perimeter this year. You know, when Creighton goes five out in the half court and spreads the floor, Christian Bishop can make some reads and distribute the ball. Because keep in mind, he grew 12 inches in high school. You heard that correctly. He grew a, he grew a foot in high school. So he was once a point guard. So being out on the perimeter and handling the ball and making decisions, it's not foreign to him. He's got some of those natural instincts. And they showed. I thought Christian Bishop had a great year for what was asked of him. Listen, the studs were studs for Creighton. Talk about the three guards, Alexander Ballock and Zagorowski. But what led to Creighton's explosion was the emergence of Damian Jefferson, Christian Bishop, and Denzel Mahoney. Which leads me to Denzel Mahoney, so let's talk about him. Again, eligible right before Christmas. And it's it's hard to just fit in when the team had found roles and rhythm without you. My analogy is, have you ever, have you ever maybe gotten to a party late and you walk up to a, a, you know, there's maybe like four or five people standing around and they're talking and you join a conversation midway through? It's kind of hard to like know when to interject and jump in and figure out what they've been talking about and then what, oh, have they already talked about that? Oh, they have. Okay, I don't, like it's, it's hard, right? Same thing for a basketball season. I mean, the team had they had established roles and rhythm, and all of a sudden, Denzel Mahoney's got to got to plug his way in there. And like I told you earlier, think about it: Denzel Mahoney averaged 19 points per game at Southeast Missouri State. He was the man there. He took all the shots. And then for a year and a half, he was on the scout team, where shot selection doesn't really matter, and each week you're playing someone new, meaning. You're being someone else. This week, you're Alpha Diallo. Next week, you are Eric Paschal. Then you're Kamar Baldwin. Like every week, you, you're, you're always trying to emulate someone else's game, not really your own. So it's, it's weird. It can lead to shaky habits. And I thought all that was evident early. 
But clearly, Denzel Mahoney was coachable and learned quick. Because after a handful of games, he started to settle in and fit into Creighton's system and the way they do things. And he ultimately flourished. He was the linchpin to the death lineup that some people called it with Damian Jefferson and him at the four and the five. I mean, you look at Mah- you look at Mahoney, man. Six foot five, two twenty five, seven foot wingspan, big ass shoulders, long arms. He's got a big East, big time body, and that body, that strength, was huge in playing small. He could bang with bigs, but punish them on offense. And then he could punish smaller guards if they got switched onto him too. Travis Steele, Xavier's head coach, called him a game changer, and he was. He was the sixth man of the year in the Big East, 12 points per game, really scored the ball well. And he's the guy that I think could just explode next year. He's going to be way more comfortable with the system and the style and the teammates. Look out. Hell of a year for Denzel Mahoney. Kelvin Jones. You know, you got to hand it to Kelvin, don't you? You got to hand He really made an impact. They needed size, they needed toughness, they needed energy, and he brought it every game. He was Creighton's best screener, and he gave Creighton some physicality that they they really, really need. Because it's hard to play 40 minutes of small ball. So you need to have some size you can throw out there. And, and that was Kelvin. That was Kelvin Jones. He embraced his role. And sometimes grad transfers aren't interested in being the seventh or eighth man off the bench off the bench that just screens and rebounds and dives on the floor. But Kelvin Jones was. And I admire that. I thought he was a real he, he made a real impact for what he was asked to do. Sharif Mitchell. Sharif had a solid freshman year. You know, he was billed as an elite on-the-ball defender in terms of making, you know, the the ball handlers uncomfortable, and he lived up to the billing. He's really good on that end of the floor, harassing the ball handler. I love Sharif's unselfishness. There wasn't a guy that was more fired up on the bench than he was. I look for stuff like that. And, you know, you, you look at Sharif this year, there's no doubt he's got to tighten up his offensive game. You know, that's not, I mean, it doesn't take a John Wooden to see that. And that starts with his three-point shot. I mean, he was just one for 12 this year. That has to improve, and I think it will. I thought his concussion and missing a few games threw him off a little bit. But to me, he's a guy that learned how to still be effective while not scoring and only playing sporadic spurt minutes. And I'm telling you, that's really hard. I've lived in that world. It's not easy. Where every game you don't know, am I going to get... Six minutes today, am I six minutes today? Am I gonna get sixteen minutes today? Am I gonna get seven shots? Am I gonna get zero shots? Like that's a hard world to live in. And he still made an impact when he could. He's just gotta work on his jumper, you know? And and if he improves on that, he's gonna be a rock solid guard for Creighton, man, for the next three years. And I again I think he will. I think he will. Lastly, I got to throw Jet Canfield in here, man. How about Jet, man? 
pretty good year for, for him. Had the magical first half in that St. John's game at MSG that got canceled. Where he scored, what, seven points, I think. Maybe eight. But Jack Canfield, walk on. I mean, he earned Greg McDermott's trust. And Greg McDermott wasn't afraid to throw him out there. I mean, Jet Canfield played in the Texas Tech game. And all that earned him a scholarship this year. And I'm just telling you, behind every great team, you have guys, you have a guy like Jet. The walk on, all about the team, bring it every day in practice type of dude. And that is Jet. So there you go. That's about as in-depth as I can get for you guys. I thought a season like Creighton just had deserved a super deep dive. What a year. 24-7, and Big East champs, amazing. And like I said to start, I really didn't think I'd see a team that was more fun to watch when they were rolling the Doug McDermott senior year team. But this team was more fun when they were rolling, man. It was amazing basketball to watch when they were clicking. So there you go. What a year. What a team. What a ride. Let's do it again next year. Peace. All right, my thanks to Pella Windows and Doors. If you're thinking about a new window or a new front door, Now is the perfect time. Give Pella a call at 402-493-1350 or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. We will see you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. Oh, Parkville Media Production.